Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. It is Friday, July 2nd, and Stage 7 has just wrapped up. As expected, a crazy stage. A breakaway stage. Uh, Not exactly the breakaway that I think we would have predicted, but in the end, one that is not entirely unpredictable, I think. We're going to get into who made that break, why they were there, and of course, talk a little bit about the GC picture, which once again was shaken up. I believe there's only one rider in the top 20 that didn't change places today, and that was Matthew Vanderpool in first place. <laughs> but before we go anywhere, let's say hi to everybody. We've got Abby Mickey on today. How are you, Abby? Hello, hello. I am great. Good. Great. Glad to hear it. And Dan Cash? Yes. Present here, accounted for. Yep. <laughs> and for the first time on the sort of regular podcast, this Tour de France, although you've heard her every single episode so far, Jose Bain. How are you, Jose? Yeah, hi. I'm. I'm doing fine. It was a fantastic stage today, and I really, really, really enjoyed that. Before we get into today's stage, Abby, what are we learning about Continental today? Oh, I miss Shoddy so much. <laughs> Well, you you put you put host duties on me at the last second, so I get to put ad duties back on you at the last That's, second. You're the one who made the Google spreadsheet. So, anyway, we've mentioned before that Continental has been the tire choice of professional teams for a long time. There are actually six World Tour teams racing Continental tires at this year's Tour de France. Most will be running tubulars, and Ronan is watching closely to see whether anyone chooses to run clinchers or the GP5000s or even tubeless with the GP5000TL. Fancy. Whichever of the tires the teams choose to run, they'll be relying on Continental's legendary quality combined with their 100-plus years of bicycle tire-making experience. That's all I was saying. That's a lot. That's a lot of bicycle tire-making. I was just interrupting you, sorry. That same experience goes into the tires available to us mere mortal cyclists who aren't racing the Tour de France, but still want the same benefits of a quality cycling tire. Thank you so much to Continental for sponsoring this episode. When I was at the start in London, no, they had this kids peloton with riders in Continental kit with a Continental team car. And these kids, they were really, really enjoying it. And it was a, a great sight to see. And they were Is that legal? cheered on by all the crafts there. I mean, I, I have definitely noticed that when a rider win, wins a stage and they get a and, and they get um, the medal, it's a continental lanyardy thing that they get. And there's also the guy that shepherds the winner around is all decked head to do- toe in continental logos we're not gonna be able to get ronan his car decal sticker things that he wanted so badly but we could probably get him decked out in like the head to toe oh yeah we should definitely do that we should figure out how to, he would be so stoked if we just got him like a full track suit full continental track suit 100 he would actually <laughs> he would 100% wear 100 wear it like <laughs> you joke but i'm pretty sure he would wear it <laughs> let's get to the bike race let's get to the bike race it was it was a great stage it was a fantastic stage and one of those stages that you kind of knew it had the potential to be like this you knew it had the potential to be a little bit crazy but you never really know and i feel like in years past there would have been a gc team that was sort of keen on keeping it a little bit less crazy right uh, maybe it was Ineos, or maybe it was Jumbo Visma last year. But there's a unique thing this year, and actually last year as well, really, where the strongest rider in the race is not on the strongest team, and that's and that's the first time we've seen that. Well, prior to Pogacar, it's probably a decade. You have to go back before you've seen that, right? And I think that that is one of the things that it just really allowed today's stage to basically you know, catch fire like it did. And we end up with Matthew Vanderpoel in the breakaway and Walt Van Aert in the breakaway and Casper Asgreen in the breakaway and Tom Squinch in the breakaway. Uh, I did text him, as I'm sure you did as well, Abby, after the stage. I actually haven't. <laughs> <laughs> so I beat, I beat you to it then. All he did was send me back the, the vomiting emoji and I feel pain in the legs. That's that's all I got from Tom's today. It's a professional reaction. Right. Sure. 255K. Pretty brutal day out on the bike. But but a fantastic one. 
let's uh, we're gonna leave this sort of GC picture stuff to the side. The fact that Roglic lost time and basically is not a GC contender anymore. The Carapaz stuff, things like that. We're gonna leave that for a little bit later in the show. I want to start with just the breakaway. So, who wants to take the lead on this one? Abby, you were you were awake for the and watching for the very beginning of the stage. I had to go back and watch a replay of the beginning of it because it was so crazy. Tell me how this sort of formed and what happened here. Well, the attack started as soon as the flag dropped. There was attacks immediately at kilometer zero. Quebeca ASOS was the first team to go off the front, but Lado Sudal was really aggressive to try to make sure that they were up in that move as well. They were followed by Casper Asgreen, who was really active as well today, trying to get up in that move. He was only a minute 44 down on GC in the beginning of the day, so... As I said yesterday, he he wanted to be up in the break today. The 29 rider move that we finally saw separate themselves from the peloton only went with 208k to go. So in a 249 kilometer stage, it took 41 kilometers for that break to even get off the front. So the day was really fast from the get-go. Once the 29 guys went off the front, they very quickly set up a pace line and got up to speed. They were 30 seconds distanced from the peloton already five kilometers later. And after that, their gap really started to blow out. I think Kaylee kind of brought this up and, and hinted at it, the, the way that the the strength of the presumptive overall favorite, Paddy Pogacar, the way the strength of his team kind of has has or has not impacted the race in the way that uh, you know previous years team sky has uh they i don't know they, they didn't seem that interested really it, it was a matter of them saying fine go ahead get up the road see what happens uh and interesting we can get to this in a little bit there, there were moments where other teams did the work uh which i thought was pretty interesting and not like Movistar. not great i kind of hope i was hoping that wouldn't happen uh for for the betterment of the race to make for things more interesting uh but yeah they they, they didn't really control things the way that you might have expected them to or at least as effectively as you might have expected uh, a presumptive tour favorites team to and that led to there being several riders one of whom is a clear you know he's a you know bajillion time grand tour winner in vincenzo nibli but i think that the real threats and i don't even think vincenzo nibli was the biggest threat in that group it's 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 Watt van Aert. It's it's what's Watt van Aert going to do in the next two weeks? And and of course, you know, he and his team are going to downplay this, uh, while the Belgian media does the opposite. Uh, but I'm I'm a little <laughs> surprised that that uh, the UAE team did that. I mean, van Aert was second at Torino like two months ago, and he was a top twenty last year's tour. So I'm a little surprised that they let that break get so much room. Yeah, and he was the one that essentially put himself in the move, and then Vanderpool had to follow, right? Because he was the threat to to Vanderpool's yellow jersey, and so then you end up with these two riders who, I mean, everybody knows the backstory here, right? These these guys have been racing against each other since they were what twelve years old in, in cyclocross races. Uh, like Abby said from the time trial the other day, you know, they finished within one second of each other in that time trial. They're just they're they're, they're sort of like locked together. And they were locked together all day today. I mean, Vanderpool was just following Welfenart around, right? And that, not too surprising because he was the primary threat to that yellow jersey. And Vanderpool has worked quite hard over the last couple of days to hang on to that yellow jersey. Proof to me, though, that, well, one, Watt really wants to get something out of this Tour de France and hasn't really yet. Uh, but clearly has pretty decent legs. Get, get himself in that move to drive it. Uh, I, you know, I think we can still expect to see him do something over the next couple of days. I expect him to fight harder over the next week than Vanderpool because, well, one, we know that Vanderpool is planning on pulling out of this Tour de France at some point to prepare for the Olympics. I believe, Jose, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the plan was first rest day, which is on Monday. It now sounds like maybe he will stick around a little bit longer if he's still got the yellow jersey. We don't really know, right? I think they will uh, give Mathieu the opportunity to leave the race on the second rest day. He has given the team everything they had hoped for, a stage win, that yellow jersey, six days already, and uh, as a kind of token, a gesture for his second dream to win that Olympic medal in the mountain bike, I think they will um, let him leave the race and, and have a week of extra recovery. But this race is, is full of Olympic hopefuls. Everybody's saying, well, I'm not going full gas in the Tour de France because I want to do well in Tokyo. So basically, there's hardly any GC riders left because everybody has Tokyo on their mind. I, I, like I said, it, it 
it all depends on how they're going to race it, right? I mean, this this exact stage in 2015, 2016 would have been so boring. It would have been unbelievably boring, right? Because nobody would have even tried, really, because they would know that Team Sky of, of that era would just keep them on a short leash and that there was there was no possibility of anything really happening. And that that sort of it, it just dis, disincentivizes riders, you know, going for it basically. And now we've got this very different situation where we've got a, a relatively weak team around the best rider in the race. Not a whole lot of reason for the other GC GC teams to chase, just like we were talking about yesterday. There's just not a lot of reason for them to do anything right now. They're not that worried about Vanderpool and Van Art. They're just kind of eyeing each other at the moment. And as a result, we get this this crazy group off the front, which could, in theory, impact the race through to Paris. I mean, we don't really know what, what Van Art is capable of. He said after the race that he is too heavy to get over the climbs, and I think that that's probably pretty accurate. But who knows? Because he's a rider that we saw get over a lot of climbs at last year's Tour de France. Uh, and we've seen the yellow jersey do crazy things to riders. So actually, let's real quick, let's just hear from Wout van Aert after the stage. Wout, it was like you had someone glued to your wheel today, like you were, like you were running a tandem. Ah, uh, well, maybe in the end it looked like that, but... Uh... Yeah, obviously I was the biggest competitor for Mathieu in GC, so uh, yeah, it's quite normal. He, uh, he didn't let me go, but uh, yeah, I think uh, at some point uh, we also decided to to work together. So uh, yeah, no hard feelings. You decided to work together, why? Yeah, I think also Askren was in front, and he's not too far in GC, and uh, yeah, I couldn't drop him, so yeah. Uh, Start to know him uh, also also a little bit, I guess. So that was a bit smarter to uh, to work together and um, yeah, uh, gain gain still time on uh, all the other ones. And if you were thinking about GC, given what happened to Jonas and to Primoz today, does that mean you're now the sort of de facto leader of the team? Do you think? Well, actually, I, I don't know at all uh, what was behind me. I, I know they they lost time, but not not how much. So I think first. Uh, Went to go to the team bus and hear what's what's what happened there, but uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely I'm too heavy to, uh, to go for GC. But uh, for now I'm still in good position and uh, it's nice to uh, to give it a go like this. What I loved about his post stage interview was when he said that him and Matthew Vanderpool just ended up working together in the end. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I want them to be best friends. <laughs> I mean, it, they're they're cl- they don't hate each other, right? Like they're just you know. For how much the media plays up them as rivals, they are rivals, like in the purest sense of the word. Yep. I just think it's great that they that they're like, yeah, whatever. Well, whatever. We don't care what you all say. Like we're ju- we're gonna just keep racing each other. We're buds. It's fine. I mean, they've they've gone back and forth so many times, right? Like one will be a little bit better. We'll be one percent better than the other one. Then the other one will be one percent better than the other one. And I think they know that that they're like they're basically equal, right? And and it's just whoever's got slightly better form at any given point in time or whatever the course suits them slightly better. They just you know they just they just pass these things back and forth. They pass world championships back and forth. Passing yellow jerseys back and forth. It's just back and forth. It's just they're just buddies out there, just working together. All right, let's let's bring this back to bike racing. Uh, yeah, um, I, I I think this is basically the only tactic you can do to get um, Pogacar uh, in danger. Alan Piper, the, uh, the team manager of the sports director, said yesterday, "There's no way that he can lose the yellow jersey," which was uh, slightly overconfident and jinxing uh, the entire thing. Um, if you look at that only Micah stayed with Pogacar and the rest of them finished 18 minutes in, in the final group. Of course, you know, once everything was clear, they, there was no need for them to stay, but they had to race for at least three hours. The peloton was one long line. There was not one minute of, of relaxation. The only people that helped was, well, the other oil-producing team here, uh, Total Energies. So there might be a little connection there. Um, now the gas prices are so high, but um, 
that, that was a weird move. I was like really defending the sixth place in the GC for Pierre Latour. Or, I love it. What were they doing? I love it. It's like the that's the most that's the most French at the Tour de France thing to possibly do is to throw your entire team on the front to defend sixth place. I thought, <laughs> I thought it was although really on the sort like, of like on, punishment. On the, well, on the because... virtual GC, on the virtual GC, you could argue that Pierre Latour is like second right now, right? I mean, if you if you third, all right. He's, he's up there, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot of other GC contenders that have had as good a first week as he has if we are classifying him as a as an actual tour contender. But, you know, you, look, we've talked about the great French hopes a couple times already in this podcast. You need one every year. If he is the one, then I am, I am 100% for his team riding as if they are Ineos and trying to protect whatever, whatever position he possibly has. I think that's a good thing. It's just, it's just weird. Just, just like what Cavendish said yesterday. This is a Tour de France, and the French teams are practically invisible. Three of the French teams had nobody in the breakaway. Not Direct Energie, not Groupama, not Arkea Samsic, and and there are what five teams, and they, the other teams just had one. It's like this is your race, you know. Try something. Be visible. The entire publicity caravan is made up of your sponsors, and then you're doing nothing. It's also a little different from something like the Giro or the Vuelta concerning the level of the Tour de France. I mean, the, the very, very, very best riders in the very best form are at the Tour. The breakaway today was a bunch of superstars. So it's a little bit harder for the seventh best rider on the you know worst team to jump into the breakaway. Like it often is a little bit easier at the Vuelta or the Giro for them to do that. I think, yeah, I think I, I agree with Dane. It was, this breakaway was star-studded. And it went really quickly and it would have, it takes a strong rider to slot themselves into a break like that. And maybe they're just, no one was in the right place at the right time, but it also, you know, would have been so fast when that breakaway went. So being in the right place at the right time only gets you so far. On a side note, I think that the fact that Pierre Latour is the next great French hope and his name is Pierre Latour is just... (laughs) Poetry. Uh, for those not fluent in French, his name is Pierre the Tour. <laughs> yeah, well, technically, technically, Le Tour is the Tour, like the the um, the race. La Tour is actually a tower. Oh, so the joke doesn't really. <sighs> That's unfortunate. Pierre the Tower. Peter the Tower. <laughs> Peter the Tower. I mean, it's still a good nickname. We're gonna stick with it being the Tour. We should talk about Matej Mohoric real quick. I think. I mean, he's he's now gotten a, a Grand Tour stage win across three different Grand Tours. Oh, I was gonna I, all three Grand Tours. I mean, the, the Giro, the Vuelta, and now the Tour de France. Save the best one for last. Which he's somebody who has been kind of on the cycling world radar for quite some time because he was the under twenty three world champ back in twenty thirteen, and hasn't quite maybe had the career that some people might have expected from an under twenty three. World champion, but now having won stages at all three Grand Tours, and and uh, you know he's been in top five in some classics. Uh, I, I think he's got to be pretty happy with the way things have gone. And Bahrain, I mean, another big stage win for them this year. They've had a lot of success uh, from riders that maybe we didn't expect. I mean, it seemed like it was going to be all about Mika Landa going into the year, and then of course he had his very depressing you know Giro d'Italia, and yet they still ended up second overall at the Giro and won a stage there. And then Mark Padun got. Some stage wins later on, and now Mahorich here at uh, at the tour. So it's got to be a pretty successful. I mean, they have to see this as a pretty successful last few months. Does anybody know who the heart was for in his victory salute? He put a little whole Nobody hand was heart. Adorable. It was super adorable. Yeah. yeah. And there were tears. Again. There were tears. This is like a real emotional tour de France. Everybody's crying. <laughs> Must have been the pandemic or something. It's like so leaving the crazy breakaway aside for today there were general classification implications of the stage probably not as big as there will be over the weekend here when we've got like sort of real mountain stages but there was a cat two today and it turned out to be a a pretty tough one a cat two and a bunch of cat threes the biggest most obvious gc movement was primos roglic who was distanced and had no teammates. Nobody came back to help him. He came across the line alone from a teammate perspective uh, in no real hurry, in no great hurry, clearly not trying to hang on to time as best as possible. 
So his GC is over at the Sword of France. I think that much is quite clear. And the decision from his team not to send anybody back to help him, granted, they didn't have a whole lot of firepower to send back to help him, but they didn't send even one rider, is an interesting one to me. Yeah, they um, they didn't wait for him, that's for sure. Um, which makes the time trial result of yesterday all the more admirable, the way that he held himself in that time trial and, and stayed in 10th place, but now he dropped 23 places to, to 33. The only hope they have left is uh, the super domestique, Jonas Vingengaard, who is now in 11th place. But if you take out the cyclocross races and Tour of Flanders winner, he is up there in the top 10. I think he's their best hope, although he crashed again today, uh, just like he crashed in the Wout van Aert uh, crash on the weekend. So, um, yeah, they don't have a whole lot of luck. And the uh, main sponsor um, of Jumbo, the owner of Jumbo, is, well, not that amused. Um, with the entire thing. And one of the interesting things that I read um, uh, by Adrie van der Poel and also Michael Bogert, they say, well, he's been on altitude for two months, um, staying out of the peloton for two months. And then you start in Brittany on these roads. You just don't have the skills yet. It's just like coming back after the winter and then getting to one of those early Spanish races, back into a peloton of 150, 180 guys, and you just don't have the reflexes anymore. And that's what a lot of these GC guys do now. They don't race anymore before the tour. I mean, we saw neither of the Slovenians were at the sort of normal tune-up races. They were at, there's no Dauphiné, no Tour de Suisse for them. They basically came out of nowhere. I mean, I think Pogacar did the Tour of Slovenia. Pogacar at least did a big race, which he won, whereas Roglic had nothing. Had absolutely nothing. I think a pretty big difference. Still, like, Tour of Slovenia is not not the Dauphiné or Tour de Suisse. Uh, Yeah, uh, I don't really like that as a, as a lead up anyway, just as a, as a bike racing fan. Like I think that I think in most sports, the top riders are basically forced to do most of the top events. Right. And and I I feel like that should basically be the case in in cycling is you should have to do the Dauphiné and that should be the lead up to the Tour de France. And you do the Dauphiné and then you do the Tour de France. And you know, if everyone's in the same boat, then it's not a it's not a positive or a negative for anybody, right? Uh, and that way we get to see a little race ahead of the race, and we get to see who's prepared and who's looking good and who's looking bad, and we get you know more narratives coming into the store fronts. And I just don't like it from a from a fan perspective. I just think it's it's bad for the sport when riders just disappear for months on end, go sit on on a mountain somewhere, and then show up for the Tour de France uh, with with no no narrative leading into the bike race. It would certainly make it easier to explain to like non-cycling fans because there's always that disconnect of being like, yeah, it's kind of like Federer just deciding to skip Wimbledon or, you know, Rory just deciding, ah, I don't want to do the British Open. Most people who don't follow cycling don't have any idea why Aegon Bernal is not on the Tour de France. We have to be like, okay, you can decide to do the Giro and just not do the Tour. I can't think of another major sport where the biggest names are just, yeah, I'm not going to do the big race. It's not for me. Then they shouldn't have three-week stage races back-to-back. I mean, yes, that seems like a fine plan. Correct. <laughs> Let's get RCS and ASO into the room together and to agree on that. Not going to happen. It's never going to happen. It's never. It's just you know. It's, I refuse to talk about calendar things on the Tour de France podcast, but I'm just yeah. Good, good by call. It. Good call. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just continually annoyed by how stupid the calendar is. Uh, anyway, other GC stuff. Uh, Garrett Thomas didn't look great. Did not look great at all. Got distance as well, although. He basically said that he was just being conservative. Uh, actually, let's rather than me summarize what he's saying, let's just hear from him. We knew there might be somebody from GC there, not necessarily a classic GC guy, but somebody up there on GC. And uh, we kind of hoped the UAE would have to ride all day, which they did. Obviously, Van Art is in a great uh, position up there, and. Uh, the yellow jersey, it's not every day you see the yellow jersey in a breakaway. But yeah, it was a tough day. And then obviously the last 80k when he got smaller roads up and down, it was just racing behind for position and yeah, some tough, tough climbs at the end. I was more meaning what did happen for you because you lost a bit of, a bit of time at some point to get a bit dropped with the consequence of the crash at the end of the tour. Well, yes, it was quite a big crash, you know, and I think it's easy to talk myself into it like oh no it's okay you know i'm okay blah 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 but 
still takes a lot out of you, as you can see with Roglic as well. Um, but I tried, I didn't want to go full, you know, 100%, you know, I was still in contact with, say, 200 metres to go, so I tried to just pace it a bit then, and uh, yeah, came back, and yeah, it was okay in the end, but I'm suffering, but uh, yeah, hopefully uh, I start to feel better soon, but maybe not with the next two days. I mean, that the leader is Richard Carapaz now for the GC in Ineos. Is it on Ineos? Yeah, well, for sure, I'll try and stay there or thereabouts, but obviously Billy is uh, obviously in a good position, and um, yeah, we'll try and use that as, as best we can. Richard Carapaz tried. He tried. He tried for some Ineos Grenadiers redemption today. I liked it. But he has the wrong manager. So uh, Movistar just didn't go along with it. <laughs> he left Movistar with, um, well, a fight. Uh, Giuseppe Acuadro is the manager of Carapaz and basically all the South Americans on the Ineos team. And he kind of pried him away from Team Movistar and they still haven't forgotten it. So I just, I can just vividly imagine Eusebio Unzue himself shouting in the radios like, get him back. He cannot take back any time. If you watch the Netflix doc, there's definitely a sense within the team of we really need to explain this. This is going to look really bad when they did it at the Vuelta. So I was a little surprised about today because it seemed like they were very cognizant of it. Even the moment it was ha- like the day it happened at the Vuelta, it seemed like they were very aware that they were going to get a lot of criticism for it. And yet today they didn't seem to care at all. Uh, although I, I mean, like there is an argument for, for making the chase. I mean, it's not like they're completely out of the GC picture. Enric Moss is up there, but it seems like I don't know, I feel like the teams who aren't UAE are helped by things like Carapaz doing what he did today. And so if, I, if I'm those teams, I'm letting him do whatever he wants. Uh, I, I, one... But at the same time, I, don't, I think that if, if riders don't do the Carapaz thing, like they did, they'll never beat Pogacar. So like it, it goes both ways there, right? UAE today benefited from the fact that it was Carapaz up the road because Movistar chased him down. We're just assuming that that is the reason, but I can't think of another good reason for Movistar to chase Carapaz down. So they benefited in that way, but at the same time, we've said a couple times over the last couple days, the only way you beat Pogacar in this race is either he has some bad luck or you get him in crosswinds or with a breakaway or some like weird moment because you're not going to drop him on the double von two day. You're just not going to do it. He's going to beat you there. He's going to beat you in the final time trial. You have to take the seconds here and there. And it didn't work out for Carapaz today, but could have, right? Could have t- could have taken 25 seconds or something like that. Uh, you know, could have linked up with Van Barl a little bit earlier and, and, and taken some time. And if you do enough of those throughout the next couple of weeks, and then at least he's got a shot at the yellow jersey in Paris. I think, you know, just looking at the GC right now, for me, I, I think Ineos has to be, prioritizing Carapaz over Garen Thomas. Carapaz, uh, Carapaz looks a lot better than Garen Thomas. Yes, he lost a lot of time in the TT, and he will probably lose a lot more time in the second TT. But Thomas did not have a good TT, and he doesn't look good generally. And Carapaz is sitting in front of Thomas right now in the GC with some big climbs ahead. And it's, yeah, it's probably too far back to win the race. I mean, he's he's going to have to make up, well, like a minute and a half on Pogacar. But of anybody on that team, I think they're, they're going to be going for Carapaz at this point. Yeah, I- I'm... I'm interested to see what happens to Garrett Thomas over the weekend here. I mean, we've got we've got big climbs coming. Today where it was a cat two and that and that sent Thomas off the back. Right? We've got big, big climbs coming and I I think it, it like his his G C could be over by the end of the weekend, I think. And Roglic already showed us, I mean, when he had that pretty strong time trial performance, it was like, Oh, maybe he's okay. And then today it was pretty clear, okay, well, when you're on your bike for six hours as opposed to half an hour, there's a little bit of a difference with all those injuries that he has. And I assume, I mean, they're very different injuries. Roglic is just like covered in scrapes and, and Garen Thomas's shoulder was dislocated. But when you're on a bike for that long, it, it, it clearly has an impact if you have a bad injury. And I think with Roglic, it was clear today, maybe he looked fine yesterday, but much longer on the bike is, is not okay for him. And that's, I assume that's why he was off the back. I, I would assume it's not a matter of him being out of form. So Thomas may find himself in the same situation with these tough mountains ahead where, okay, he looked okay on a, on a time trial, but after more and more kilometers pile up, who knows? Well, and they were not particularly cruising along today. You know, they were half an hour faster than the fastest schedule. So, um, yeah, that must have hurt if you were already hurt. So, But I still believe in Carapaz winning the Tour de France. Just want to say that. I don't. I believe. <laughs> you believe in Iran, I believe in Carapaz. <laughs> 
I believe in Iran. I believe in Pierre Latour. I'm just a sucker for punishment over here. You know, Julian but, Alaphilippe is still up there in the, you know, in the fight. So, if we're done talking about the GC, something very important that we have missed out talking about for days now is the Myosavla. Well, there wasn't one for a long time. Do we have one now? There is one now. I can't remember. Is it closest to one hour without going over? You have to go over. It's reverse prices right. That's super unfortunate because if it was closest to one hour without going over, it would be Mark Hershey. But it is Clement Russo from Team Arkea Samsic at one hour, one minute, and 13 seconds. I mean, maybe Mark Hershey could take it tomorrow. Something tells me it won't be Mark Hershey tomorrow. It'll be a sprinter or something. Mark Hershey should be able to hold on a little bit better. Somebody who's currently at like 25 minutes or something like that. Yeah. You know who could take the Mayo Sabo tomorrow is a four time uh, Mayo Jean winner who is currently 50 minutes and 38 seconds back. Uh, Froome closing in on that jersey. He was dropped on a fourth category climb by Mikkel Bjerg today. I, I think we, ha- we, we, we might see a day that Chris Froome will be outside of the time limit, and that would be really sad. What an unfortunate way to go out. He's battling time limit with Mark Cavendish. Cav Cav got in the break today for a bit. Did he get? In the, did I see that? Yeah, he did. After all of your hullabaloo yesterday about sprint points and sprint jerseys and points jerseys and whatever, Cav jumped in that break and got himself some points. Love it. I'm sure he's not going to talk about it though. I'm sure somebody asked him about it at the finish. Hey, you going for green? Don't don't talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> no way. I'm just here taking it day by day. I'm sure. He's just following this Sagan playbook, you know, getting the intermediate sprints on days like this. I love it. I think it's awesome. I mean, it also, because today's break was hard to make, it shows that he's in good form, beyond sprinting form. He's in decent form right now. So that's that's good. That that means that he's more likely, I think, to be able to make it through this Tour de France. Because oh, yeah. that is, let's not forget, that is always a question with these sprinters. I mean, they, they basically sit at the edge of time limit on every major mountain stage throughout the entire race. And... and you know, a couple percent in form here or there could make the difference between him making it to Paris, you know, and trying to win on the Champs-Élysées and not, and getting, you know, chucked out of the race in the Pyrenees somewhere. It's, his sports director is, is quite confident that he will make it to Paris. Lefebvre, uh, not so much. You know, he's a 36-year-old, not Lefebvre, who's a 60-something, but <laughs> um, Mark Cavendish. And he, he never properly prepared for this race. You know, he was... He was just cruising along and they said, oh, yeah, can you do a three-week stage race in France? And um, So they're just taking it day by day, but yeah. I think, we know I think now he can do it. it's all smoke and mirrors. Yeah, I think, I think he can do it. I think he can do it. Uh, we are – so I was chatting with um, – trying to get Brian Holm on the podcast, I think, for early next week when we get back into the sprint stages. Talk a little bit more about Cav because Holm has worked with him for a long time and just talk about sprinting in general, so – Hopefully we can make that happen for next week. All right, that's enough Tour de France for today. The Giro Donne started today, formerly known as the Giro Rosa. And, Abby, we've got some diarists, first and foremost, including, I believe, the current uh, pink jersey wearer. But why don't you just talk us through what happened at the Giro today? Yeah, today was the first stage of the 2021 Giro Donne, which is not World Tour this year, but is still... The only 10-day stage race the women have. The team time trial was won by Trek Segafredo, just eight seconds ahead of SD Works. And Ale BTC Ljubljana actually came in third, which is pretty surprising. I think they got maybe ninth last year, but they do have Marlon Rusa. So picked up some pretty heavy TT power for 2021. Uh, Ruth Winder will wear the pink jersey into stage two. Actually, she's one of our diarists, so let's just hear from her now. Hey, cycling tips. Um, Ruth Winder here from Trek Segafredo doing these audio diaries again for you guys to follow along the Giro. Um, and we just won the team time trials, Trek Segafredo, second year in a row, which feels super, super good. Uh, it's my third team time trial win in a row because I won it on Sunweb too, the two, three years ago. Two years ago? Three years ago. Not sure now. Um, which feels super amazing. And I'm, I crossed the line first, so I'm actually in the pink jersey too to start tomorrow, which always feels super weird as a team time trial because it's like everybody went to success. It just so happens my front wheel crossed the line first. Um, 
so yeah i got to go on the podium wear the pink jersey which honestly feels super special it's uh, amazing to wear it but we really just were super motivated as a team to put Elisa in good position because we have a lot of faith in her going forward in in the rest of the Giro so yeah we're we're really happy it's gonna be a really good race for us I think and well, we hope <laughs> we can go into it hoping for that as much as we want and we'll have to see what happens um but yeah super hard TTT and we maybe it wasn't all like smoothest race ever we definitely could have learned a lot from what we did today but to feel that way and still have won is really uh it's a cool feeling i suppose um and yeah so i hope that you enjoy these video diaries this year and tomorrow we have a finish and we finish it on a 17 kilometer climb so expect a lot of gc fireworks going on tomorrow and and yeah following along have fun following along all right bye one of my favorite things that Ruth said in her diary was about the team tri team time trial and it's just in general, the discipline of the team time trial. It's kind of a dying art form. There's the women do maybe two a year, only one this year because uh, Valgarda is canceled. So it's it's really interesting. Some teams that really work well together that are a unit can pull it out without having done any TTT training. I think Trek Segafredo did three days of training in between La Course and the Giro to, before today. Super important discipline, but it's something that pretty much all the riders love. I mean, it's the only one where you get to stand on the podium with all of your teammates. Every other race, it's just one person standing up there with the rest of their team cheering from the crowd. So really exciting day today and looking forward to tomorrow's epic mountaintop finish. Kind of in the same, in the conversation of um, of the TTT, Heidi Franz is our other diarist for today, and she had never done a TTT before today, but still talked about how important the discipline is and how how much fun it is to ride it as a team with no one else on the road, just you and your teammates, you know, riding together, working together. So let's hear from Heidi. Wow, uh, day one of the Giro pretty crazy uh and a really hot one at that as well um and also my first ever team time trial so very exciting all around um yeah it was freaking hot out there uh i think my how my computer told me it was like maybe max of 40 degrees celsius so um just in the direct sun all day. It was, it was wild. Um, for rallies, like first team time trial, um, in a really, really long time. Um, couple of our first ever, uh, I thought it went, you know, it went pretty well actually for the first one. Um, I think we went out a little bit too hot, uh, cause we, there, there was a little climb and we were having some pretty good speed for that, for those first, like, five minutes or so um but I think it ended up sort of blowing us a little bit um especially in that last 10k I think our our speed really dropped so um yeah a lot of really a lot of really good things to take away from it um considering uh that we had like one day of pract real practice and then we reconned it this morning before the race um and yeah, just a lot of, a lot of things we can improve on as well. And, um, just super impressed with everyone for fighting super hard. I know like, um, my teammate Sarah was just completely overheated, um, for the last 10 K when it was, or last six K when it was down to four of us and she just hung on and hung on and hung on and fought so hard. So, um, super impressed. I can tell that Krista and Clara are both just in flying form like they were both riding so strong um and I was pretty happy with my own ride as well uh, I felt I felt good it was sort of a familiar feeling um kind of like a super kind of like the hardest breakaway that I've ever been in <laughs> so uh but it, so it was an effort that I was kind of familiar with despite the fact that it was my first team time trial ever um outside of like collegiate racing five years ago <laughs> so um yeah excited about uh excited about tomorrow 
going to be a really hard finish up this climb that's kind of right around the corner from our hotel. Um, and yeah, looking forward to day two. Here we go. I know I say this every single time we mention team time trials, but they hurt a lot. I just think that our audience really needs to know that they hurt so much. <laughs> like I just, it's the most painful. Maybe a team pursuit might be like, maybe more painful. It's just brutal. Absolutely brutal, but also fun. Like Heidi said, they're, they're sort of, you get in that rotation with your teammates. Everybody's working together. You know, most rotations, you're in a bike race and, and you're not with your teammates. And somebody's probably not quite doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, you know, somebody's thinking about the, the finish already. And somebody's thinking about their sprinter behind them. And it's very rare that you get a full rotation of everybody super committed. And it's it's fun because you go super fast, particularly in a time trial bike. You go super, super fast when everybody's committed like that. Oh. And it hurts, but everyone at the end of the race all of your teammates hurt too and you get to all like hold each other in pain exactly yeah group hugs it, it is the most group hug filled uh cycling discipline i think are <laughs> hugs allowed again by the uci or are we still in there oh, i don't know i think we just ignored that rule i think that rule just went out like <laughs> i'm pretty sure that everyone was like okay we gotta not do the super tech we gotta not do the whatever the hugs, they were like, no, we draw the line. We're just going to keep <laughs> hugging each other. What are you going to do? I think the hugs is always just a suggestion anyway. So it's all good. It's all good. Side note, side note, to return to the tour re- very briefly, um, <laughs> our social media editor, Mike Better, dug up this clip from after the race uh, that shows Valverde, Kwiatkowski, and Enric Maas some handbags having the opposite of hugging uh after the finish here and so that i guess backs up what we were saying earlier about uh what well, star chasing down carapaz basically for no reason uh unclear exactly how that started or really how it ended kwiatkowski was was not really responding and the movistar guys seemed to be the ones that were angry so Anyway, interesting little little tidbit there. We'll try to find out more for you. Can't wait for the documentary. Right? It'll be so good. <laughs> we like to start off our, you know, our, our stage previews here with a bit of a historical context and let you learn something. So let's hear what Jose put together for tomorrow. It's stage eight and we have arrived in the Alps. Today's race start is in Oyonnax, where Tony Galopin won the stage back in 2014. And it's also the home of the Combs and Plastic Museum. And this seems like an odd combination of items, but it links the past, the very first foundations of the town, to the future. We go back to the 7th century for the legend of how the town was founded. King Clovis II, King of the Franks, the name givers of France, fell in love with a princess. And he was said to be around 14 years young at the time. And Batildis, his future wife, just only 19. Clovis sent a delegation led by a certain Leodogarius to the region to ask for the prince's hand in marriage. But his vehicle broke down. The inhabitants of Oyonnax were skilled woodwalkers and fixed it. And as a thank you, the village was granted the right to make and trade boxwood combs. In the 19th century, some businessmen from Oyonnax returned from the World Exhibition with the brand new plastic celluloid. And this led to the industrial development of the town that revolves around plastic to this day. There are around 600 companies in the Oyonnax Valley dedicated to plastics. And the future of plastic and sustainability can also be found here. A group of industrialists from Oyonnax is launching a project to recycle post-production waste from plastic bottles. And their objective is to convert this industrial waste into technical fibre for weaving clothing, particularly cycling jerseys. And maybe the future yellow jersey will be from recycled plastic bottles in Oyonnax. And as we approach the finish line, we cross the Bouget Valley, which is home to my favourite cheese. Finally, we have cheese. It's called reblochon. And reblochon derives the word from reblocher, which when literally translated means to pinch a cow's other again. And this refers to the practice of holding back some of the milk from the first milking. And during the 14th century, the landowners would tax the mountain farmers according to the amount of milk their herds produced. 
But the farmers therefore would not fully milk the cows until after the landowner had measured the yield. And the milk that remained is much richer and was traditionally used by the dairy maids to make their own cheese. In the 16th century, this cheese, Reblochon, was also known as a fromage de dévotion, or devotional cheese, because it was offered to the Carthusian monks of the Tarn Valley by the farmers in return for having their homesteads blessed. The Reblochon cheese is made with raw cow's milk, which made export to countries like the USA impossible until 2004 because of the laws in place until then. And Reblochon is one of the key ingredients of winter sports favorite dish, tartiflette. It's potatoes, cheese, onion, garlic, bacon and double cream and there are one trillion calories in it so you can sustain yourself at least a week on one portion only. Dane, what's on tap for tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, the first real mountain stage of the 2021 Tour de France tomorrow. We will have three first category climbs inside the last half of the day, including the final ascent, which is the Col de la Colombière, uh, quite a tough one, 8.5% average gradient. And then there will be a descent to the finish in La Grand Bonon, which I think should perhaps favor from a stage perspective a breakaway. Uh, if you just look at the up and down profile, the fact that we had a hard stage today, and there's a very hard stage on stage nine, I think there is some likelihood that UAE will again not care too much about a breakaway and that, uh, well, Matthew Vanderpool's team, I don't think is gonna control this thing. So I, I don't really see much impetus from the pack to control the race. So I do think there's a decent chance of a break, at least 50-50, tough to say one way or the other, um, but definitely going to be a GC day because three first category climbs is a lot. Is this the same finish as we had in La Course when uh, we had that fantastic sprint between Van der Breche and Van Vloot? I think it is. I think you're right. I think it is. Yeah. I'm not positive about that, but I'm pretty sure. It's a good, it's a good, good finish. Yeah. It's a, uh, it'll be, it'll be a good test. You know, I think, we feel like we know a lot about this Tour de France, having now watched it for seven stages, but we don't really. We really don't know yet because we haven't actually seen the terrain that tends to define the Tour de France, and we will this weekend. Uh, picks? Picks? Picks, 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 picks? I'd like to point out that my pick of a breakaway succeeding was correct yesterday. Yeah, but I, I was still almost right as well. But that, I was, I was going to bring that up is the fact that uh, the non-breakaway pick actually turned about to be turned out to be uh, breakaway picks. <laughs> so you know, a Wout van Aert pick turned out to be a breakaway pick. So not a bad one, not a bad one. Tomorrow, do we think break? No break. I think it's going to be a GC day. So I think the GC riders are going to win it. I mean, it'll be a GC day no matter what, but I think it's going to be the GC guys that are winning the race because it was so hard today. Yeah. I think breakaway. Because who's going to chase it? Exactly. Who's going to, like, the, UAE ain't going to chase it. Cooked. cooked. Yeah, UAE's not going to chase it. Ineos is going to chase it. I mean, it's a great day for Oran, so I feel like EF might. EF might chase it. I, I, hey, honestly, don't look at me like that. No, Dave. EF is too busy worrying about Lachlan Wharton right now to chase down breaks at the Tour de France. <laughs> and just all riding their into efforts. the bushes mid-stage. <laughs> all their efforts are focused hey, on Lachlan hey. Wharton at the moment. Nielsen Palace did do a bit of a cyclocross uh, adventure today. You probably saw that on television. Uh, well, you know, cross is boss. It's true. You better just get a taste of it. Gets you better. I, I I think I think breakaway tomorrow. I think breakaway tomorrow because... And, and honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if we see like... Vanderpol and Van Aert in the, in the breakaway again. Like, I mean, why not? Why not? They're strong enough to be there. The other GC teams don't care if they do it. Although they're going to start caring about Wolf Van Aert pretty soon here. Uh, but I, yeah, I think that that's that's a reasonable that's a reasonable guess. 
uh, I'm going to put it down to there's a, there's a, a number of breakaway, like pretty strong breakaway riders and strong riders that did not make the move today. Maybe they're just in the wrong part of the peloton at the time. So there's going to be riders out there that, you know, have some legs for tomorrow. And I think it's, I think it's going to be a breakaway day tomorrow. I'm going to pick Michael Google. I'm picking Michael Google. Hey, Google. Play Renegades by Big Red Machine. <laughs> <laughs> you just set people's... I was hoping that work. Oh, I really man. hope that works. If people are listening out loud, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> All right, so that's my pick. Michael Google for tomorrow, breakaway stage. Dane, who do you got? Uh, with no Dave Everett on the podcast, I will take up the Dave Everett mantle, and I will pick Guillaume Martin. He is my dartboard pick for the breakaway stage win on, on stage eight. It really is a dartboard pick, and who knows? <laughs> because it's, I really do think it's going to be a break, and it's just such a... It's so unpredictable. But Guillaume Martin looks fine, and he's pretty far down there in the GC. So, yeah, why not? Abby? I'm going to Iran. Go big or go home. I like it. <laughs> Deep Iran fandom. Jose? Yeah, when it comes to tomorrow's stage and a breakaway, it's usually a lottery. But my name is Mattia Cataneo of the Koenig Quickstep. And if it's a small group with all the GC favorites, it's uh, Alejandro Valverde. Interesting. He's looked I good like so far. One. I mean, it is a yeah. How long is the downhill? I was just checking checking here. It's a, it's a fairly long downhill, and so yeah, well, you could you could see a, a you know a GC group of twenty, fifteen, twenty, maybe on the on the high end, come over that final climb, and then Valverde is a pretty good shout after that. I, uh, I think Wapman also got a good chance if it does come down to that. By the way, uh, to add more bonus seconds to his yellow jersey bid. All right, there you go. It was a good stage. Tomorrow, going to be another good stage. Check back with us, and we'll be back from shortly after Stage 8 from the Tour de France. Bye, everybody. Bye.